Convene now is the Marin County Flood Control and Water Conservation District Board of Supervisors. We did just come out of closed session as the Board of Supervisors. There's nothing to report, so we'll go into active session now. And we'll start, uh, good afternoon everyone, with uh, time for public expression. This is for items not on today's agenda. So if anyone wishes to uh, address the Board on items not on the agenda, now's the time. Uh, so I'll look in the chambers, nobody, and is there anyone online? Yes, we have Clayton Smith, please on mute. As a continuation of my earlier comments on geoengineering, the recent rain bombing of California left a sense of trauma to many California's communities, particularly in the upper foothills of the Sierra Mountains. People I knew were stranded for over a week without power, unable to leave their homes due to the failure of Caltrans to clear the roads. When this happened last year, they were reassured that this was a once-in-a-30-year event. This has proven not to be the case. Here locally, we had snow on Mount Tam, and even at the beach in Santa Cruz. Each storm passing through the valley I live in has been accompanied by cloud bursts of hail, a first in my over 36 years of living here. As Jordan B. Peterson would put it, this is no joke. We have had cold temperatures not seen since 1989, 30 years ago. And if the calculations concerning solar cycles done by astrophysicist Valentino Zarkova prove correct, this is just the beginning of grand solar minimum, which should prevail over the next decade. So I urge you, while you're spending so much of your time and attention, not to mention the public's, i.e. the taxpayers' money, on race, homelessness, housing, and of course, COVID, you might take seriously weather events, be they natural or engineered, and see to it that you are prepared to meet the challenges they may present to the rest of us going forward. And I also think it should be cause for you to reconsider all this stuff about climate change and particularly global warming. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Smith. Next, please. President Moulton-Peters, there are no additional speakers in the Okay, meeting. thank you. We'll close public comment now and bring it back to our board. Are there any announcements or items? Not seeing anyone. Okay. We'll move forward then with our water resource manager's report. I, I don't have any items. No items this afternoon. Berenice Davidson, Assistant Director of Public Works. I don't have anything to report today. Item number 12C then, a professional services agreement with Geomorph Design uh, for West and East Creeks. Hi there, I'm a member of the board. This is an item to execute the professional services agreement with Geomorph Design. Most of you know this is Matt Smelter um, for conceptual project alternatives um, for flood zone, set, flood zone 4 in Tiburon and it's for East of West Creek. The advisory board did request uh, professional services for this in their October meeting, and a full report on this on the scope and cost was given in um, their January meeting. So we will ask that you approve this contract. Very good. And uh, this is Tracy Clay, our um, manager for the flood control district. Thank you. Great. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Okay, so this is in my district. I reviewed the materials in the October and January meetings. I thought it was a very thorough report that uh, picked up on the recommendations. So um, I'd be willing to move this item, uh, but would also open to public comment on this item before we take a vote. Is there anyone here who wishes to speak? I'm not seeing anyone. Is there anyone online? President Moulton Peters, there are no speakers in the Okay. So I'll second your motion. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Thank you. That carries. Uh, 
Uh, we'll move now to item 12D, design update for the Santa Benicia flood wall project. Thank you. This item is to receive an update on the 90% plans and specs of the Santa Venetia Floodwall Project prepared by CSW Stuberstro. I have Robert Stevens here with me to pre uh, give you that overview. The second item is to authorize um, the president to execute the first amendment with CSW for a time extension. And I want to emphasize, because I did receive some comments from the community, that we are not asking for additional money on a previously approved contract with CSW. This is a time extension. And with that, uh, I also would like to address comments that I have received from uh, various members of the community regarding the last statement in my board letter where it says that uh, we no longer are able to apply for FMA funding from FEMA due to lack of flood insurance, national flood insurance policies in the community. This information is given to us by FEMA. We do not, the district does not have access to any of these um, statistics. We did receive that information from FEMA back in October. However, after we published this letter, there's been members of the community that have come to us and says, wait, I do have my policies with the National Flood Insurance Program. We have communicated that information with FEMA. Um, they are gonna review and update their databases. Uh, the Director of Public Works, Rosemarie Gaglioni, recommends that we get together with FEMA and the experts in flood insurance and maybe organize a workshop in the community so that we can answer all of those questions about the flood insurance policies, which is something the district does not get involved with. So we're, we're, we're planning that for a later date. And with that, I'll let Robert go through the presentation and we can answer questions afterwards. Great. Thank you, Ms. Ms. Davidson, and thank you, board, uh, for having me here today. I'm gonna give a brief overview of our current status of the design of the Santa Venetia flood wall. Uh, the alternatives review and recommendations moving forward. Next slide, please. My name is Robert Stevens, and I am with the firm CSW based in Novato. And last July, we started working on um, an assessment of a, a, a proposal to improve flood protection for the Santa Venetia community. And um, so the Santa Venetia community, the, lower, the, the illustration on the lower left is an exhibit that shows in red where this flood wall would go. It commences along the south bank of the Las Colinas Creek. It starts at the Meadow Drive Bridge and ends near pump station number five. And it protects not only the homes fronting the creek, but all, many of the homes within the Santa Venetia community. And as you can see on the right, in the 1980s, the county installed a timber-reinforced berm, which is essentially a redwood planter box atop an existing levee that was put there in the 1950s. And over the last 40 years, it's, it's deteriorated. Um, it's exceeded its design life. Um, and the district has been uh, expending funds and making repairs to it. Uh, last year, and I believe this year, there's about $150,000 budgeted for its maintenance. But as the, the, the timber reinforced berm uh, deteriorates, this cost to, to repair this is gonna continue to increase. Uh, it's important to also note that the Army Corps of Engineers did a previous study that indicated that this timber reinforced berm would likely fail if a flood event uh, presented itself. Next slide, please. So as I mentioned, uh, we worked really diligently in the summer and fall of last year to refine the design. We had several great outreach meetings here in July and September in this room here to talk to folks about the, the process. Uh, we presented to the Zone 7 board in October, um, and, and this is sort of the basis of uh, the project. Um, currently, we've developed uh, a CEQA uh, project description, and we're looking forward to advancing uh, the review, the CEQA review here in 2023. Next slide, please. So a couple of the high-level responses to some of the public comments that we've received over the last six months. Uh, the first is that this flood wall, when constructed, there is no public access along this wall. 
And um, we've extended the flood wall limits on the west and east side to help reduce the flood risk. And again, there is some space required on either side of the flood wall so that uh, district staff can inspect it annually. Uh, we, a lot of folks were really interested in a regional concept that potentially put a tidal gate on the Las Colinas Creek. We reviewed that extensively, and I think we demonstrated that it's really not feasible here. We would still need to have some sort of flood wall installed along the fronts of the properties. Um, folks were concerned about the airport levy and how it potentially could affect the Santa Venetia uh, community, and we confirmed that um, uh, while it, 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 they are building a flood wall there, the entire watershed is so large that it really doesn't do anything to really impact or increase flood risk within the community. And then finally, I can't remember what the bottom one says because I see my teleprompting slides here. But that's okay. We'll, we'll come back to this. Next slide, please. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Ver oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You think I would remember all this. But um, yes. And then there was some debate about the different flood wall heights. Um, we've confirmed that the flood wall height will be 11 feet. And this slide shows the basis of the flood wall height. Uh, first is that we're basing it on the United States Army Corps of Engineers, which has established a 100-year flood elevation risk in Las Colinas Creek of 9.1 feet. Uh, this, uh, we've added an additional about a foot for sea level rise that's likely to occur, 66% uh, probability by 2050, state of California definition of that. And also, there is some expectation that over the next 30 years, the Santa Venetia community will settle an additional foot. So that's how we came to the 11 feet elevation for the flood wall. Next slide, please. So this is a graphic. If we were standing on Vendola Drive and we were looking north through the flood wall, the bottom axis of the graph shows Vendola Drive. And if we were looking north, the greenish color that says earthen berm, that is the elevations of the earthen berm that was constructed in the 1950s. And you can see it's pretty irregular. And then you can see the which is berm. That's the height of that. And then you can see the, the blue color is the the would construct to an absolute elevation of 11. So the ash black line and the top of the blue section is the additional height that would all the that are there. Next slide, please. So there was several, uh, we, we looked at several different alternatives. Uh, one was to continue with the timber reinforced flood wall. The second was a concrete flood wall, and the final was a sheet pile flood wall. Now, we, we eliminated the concrete flood wall as a potential option, uh, generally because it just won't work in this location because the geotechnical conditions really don't make it feasible to construct. So we advanced the, the look at the timber reinforced flood wall. You can see several advantages there. We have an environmental document complete. We have plans ready to go. It's a very similar aesthetic to what we have today, but it's a very labor-intense construction. Uh, it still doesn't eliminate our problems with uh, rodents like gophers that are digging underneath it. Uh, we have seepage issues, uh, and it has uh, about a 30-year design life. So in comparison, we thought that the some sort of a composite sheet pile wall might be a really good solution. Uh, we found that it's actually a lower cost than the timber reinforced product. It has a 50-year life minimum with very minimal maintenance required. It effectively eliminates seepage. Uh, some disadvantage of it, it's, it's a little less natural than what's out there today. Um, if there's hard soil, it can present some challenges in construction. And again, the equipment needed to construct it is a a little bigger and a little difficult, more difficult to get in there on tight access areas. Next slide, please. So in early November of last year, we were actually able to do a test of this. We installed 16 feet of this sheet pile wall near pump station number five. 
You can see on the left the photograph of the excavator installing the sheets, and you can see on the right our test to see just how strong these are. Next slide, please. So here we're actually pulling on the sheets, and we're measuring the amount of force we're applying on the wall. And you can see on the right, we actually loaded the wall to above 20,000 pounds. And the axis, the x-axis on the bottom shows the deflection of the wall. So at a, a little over 20,000 pounds, out inch of deflection. Now the, the red line there is actually the indication of what uh, the actual real-world water load would be. So we loaded the wall significantly more than we would ever expect in the real world. So if, if we did have about 8,000 pounds of load on it, we had a deflection of about 0.3 inches. So it's, it's pretty negligible, and we were able to demonstrate that the wall is very strong, meets all the needs we have, and it's constructible at this location. Next slide, please. So to give you a, a feeling of the timber-reinforced berm condition, here is an example. You can see uh, the two redwood walls. It looks like an elevated planter box against the levee that was constructed in the 1950s. Next slide, please. Here's another condition. Next slide. This is a, an example of the timber-reinforced berm that was reconstructed by the county. Uh, and this is a section that uh, the county does every year. I think it's a really good example of a really high-quality section of it. Next slide. Here's one that's sort of lost in the vegetation. Next slide. So this is a visual simulation of what the wall uh, would look like when it's constructed. You can see in this case, uh, there's stairs that go above it to an existing homeowner's dock. I think the important point to make from this is the timber reinforced berm actually occupies more width than the composite sheet pile, which is uh, much narrower. Next slide, please. So um, one of the uh, options the district is looking at is replacing fences and staircases along properties at the property owner's request. They would be constructed of wood, similar to what has been constructed in the past there. Next slide, please. So this is a comparison of the costs, uh, estimated costs of uh, construction of this sheet pile wall. You can see the timber reinforced berm in a future year of $2025 is a little more than $16 million. And this includes planning and design and actual construction costs, as opposed to the composite sheet pile wall, which is about $14.3 million. And you can see at the bottom the existing funding that's available for the project of about $1.5 million from a combination of FEMA and Zone 7 funds. <clears throat> Next slide, please. And finally, I, I just want to thank uh, members of the community as well as NUR who provided a lot of great comments on the basis of design. Uh, they, they helped point out uh, an error I made in an assessment of the NUR data, data which I've corrected, and I really appreciate all the great uh, comments that people have made that really have helped make this document better, and I just want to thank everybody. We're continuing to make this document as accurate as possible, so just want to thank you for um, listening to our presentation. I want to emphasize um, a point that Robert made about the expense budgeted this year for the maintenance of the TRB is at $150,000. Ten years ago, the district budgeted 10000 so the maintenance cost for this wall is uh, growing, and it will continue to grow unless addressed. And I also wanted to point out that the core uh, conclusion was that this TRV is at risk of failure due to overturning or sliding in face with uh, high water. But we also have the burrowing rodents and uh, groundwater, groundwater seepage which uh, a benefit, as you saw in the presentation, with a sheet pile wall that seepage would be taken care of. And um, another point I wanted to make was that um, in the board letter, uh, I summarized that in 2020, the district was successful in obtaining a grant for the designing <coughs> construction of this project. However, because of what happened in February 22 with 
the current engineering estimate exceeding the funding available. We were successful in uh, our conversations with FEMA and Cal OES to do a scope change. So they actually funded um, doing further design. And so in uh, really big picture numbers, today the cost on the design of this wall um, and labor costs has been about 1.2 million and 900,000 of that has been funded by FEMA. And the local share has been around 300,000. So I, I just wanted to mention that and then I'll open it for questions. Thank you. I'm gonna look at Supervisor Sackett. Do you have questions? And then the rest of us can follow. Questions. Um, the first one, Robert, on on the slide that has this diagram of the proposed versus, what does OPC stand for when you're talking about the sea level rise projection? That's the state of California, the Ocean Protection Council. That's their guidelines for potential sea level rise scenarios. And then could you, I think this is to Robert as well, can you talk about the lifespan of the sheet pile versus, um, I'm seeing in the comparison, you talk about a 50 year lifespan for the sheet pile. What are we anticipating if we looked at, you know, just sort of replacing what we already have there? So the manufacturer of the composite sheet piles that we've been evaluating as part of this project guarantees the product for at least 50 years. And that essentially requires no maintenance besides just verifying it every year that nobody's damaged it. Uh, the timber reinforced berm is plastic wood. Uh, the information that we've been able to collect on that is that uh, we think that it has a lifespan of about 30 years, but it will require um, maintenance as the ground settles and, and things shift out there. And I just want to add that the, life, the lifespan of the proposed project is a huge factor in becoming a competitive project when FEMA is reviewing these types of projects. So, so if I understand they, you correctly, FEMA wants to see a longer-term lifespan without maintenance? Okay. And then there's the picture of the machinery that came in to do the pull test. Are we anticipating similar kind of machinery in order to place this along the length of the levee? Can you speak to how this, will, how this sheet pile would be installed, if you know? Yes, that was the benefit of the, the November trial. Um, the machinery, the, the, the excavator that was there, that would be the type of machinery that would install the sheet at this location. And would that come in from the water side or from the land side? Uh, so in our planning effort, we've been uh, planning on coming from the land side using uh, access from Vendola Drive at some strategic locations between homes. But as part of the CEQA assessment, we'd like to consider potential alternatives that would allow water access. And that's part of the analysis that, we're, that you're asking for approval for today? Yes. Okay. Um, and then, Berenice, turning back to you on this, the FEMA um, funding requires from what I hear you saying is it requires that some number of people in flood zone seven are purchasing federal flood insurance? Well, one of the grants uh, that FEMA provides or makes available, it does require that we have national flood insurance policies in the community. And that's why I, I added the statement because when we heard from FEMA that there weren't any but recently we've heard from FEMA that there are, so we're working with them. So I wanna go into that a little bit further. So FEMA's got a few different programs or grant opportunities. One of those is gonna require that there's flood federal flood insurance, but um, 
purchasers within the flood zone seven, but not all of the community, not all of the potential FEMA grant opportunities. I'm going to allow Hannah Lee from uh, our district to respond and briefly summarize the three types of FEMA grants that Great. we can potentially benefit from. Uh, so there's, there's two buckets. There's pre-disaster and post-disaster. And post-disaster is HMGP. And so there was one that was just advertised this month. Um, and that is a certain proportion of the recovery funding that FEMA sends to the state becomes available for mitigation projects. So that's how we originally got this project designed. Um, then the other bucket is uh, pre-disaster mitigation. And there are programs that are available every year and are competitive nationally. Um, and there's two kinds right now. There's the Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities uh, grant program, and that one prioritizes disadvantaged communities and nature-based solutions. And then there's the FMA program, the Flood Mitigation Assistance, and that prioritizes um, people who have national flood insurance policies, and especially repetitive loss and severe repetitive loss properties. And we know that Santa Venetia is, I think, our most populous um, repetitive loss area in the county. Um, so it seemed like it was going to be a really good candidate for that program. The basic requirement is that you have NFIP policyholders, and if you have um, more than 125, then you max out the points that you get from that. So it's it's a really good program um, for this project if, if it works out. And so, Hannah, it, require, it requires that you have, is there a proportion of, I mean, can we have one federal, yeah. federal so insurance? To, to be basically eligible, all you need is one. Um, but to be maximally competitive, we need 125 policyholders. And I, if the number of policyholders in Santa Venetia is the same proportionately to all of unincorporated county, then we would max that out. Can you say that again? So we would max out the number of points. So you can get 250 points in the grant program if you have 125 um, properties that are insured through the NFIP. But you said something about the percentage countywide? Yeah. <laughs> that. So that's, that's all that we know um, is what the percentage of people um, in Marin, in the uh, special flood hazard area, what percentage of those people are covered under NFIP policies? We just don't know where they are because that's sensitive information. So you don't know how many in flood zone seven have federal policies? We don't know yet, no. Okay, but we've, we've asked FEMA for that information? We will find out, yes. Okay. And then the other program, the other bucket in the pre-disaster recovery, you said building for resilient communities, I think is what you called it. Yeah. And that requires it to be a disadvantaged community. Would San Santa Venetia qualify for that bucket of funding? No, um, it's not currently mapped um, by Cal OES as a disadvantaged community. Um, so... The, what CalES was advising is if you're not a disadvantaged community that you increase your local share to, to compensate for that. So they would, they would want you to have at least a 30% local contribution towards the cost if you're not a disadvantaged community, which is the case as of now. So that leaves us with two potential buckets of FEMA funding, one that requires at least one po federal policyholder. And then for the HMGP post-disaster bucket, um, do we have to have federal insurance policyholders in that bucket? No, you don't for the HMGP. Um, the current limitation on that one is $5 million total project cost. That's something that Cal OES sets with each specific disaster declaration, so it could change, but typically it's around 4 or $5 million. Has that been going limit. up over time? I it mean, has, yeah. I mean, it was $4 million when we initially applied, and now it's five. Um, and, and we have had success um, later on, after you get awarded a grant, in getting uh, supplemental awards beyond that amount if it's available, if someone in the program, say, drops out and the grant funding becomes available. Still a long ways from what we're... Yes. Budgeting this project. So Definitely. then going to the, um, 
So that seems to be narrowing it to one bucket at this point that would require somebody to have a federal insurance policy. Does that one have a cap on the amount of the project? Does that bucket? Um, uh, I Last time I checked, the cap was, was much larger than what we would need. It was closer to like 20 million or so. Have a sense of whether well, let me ask the first question. Have we applied for HMGP FEMA money on this project previously? HMGP? Yeah. Yes, that's, that's what's currently funding it. Okay. And do we anticipate that we would be competitive to get additional funding under that program? Um, I, don't, I don't think we could apply because with the current cap of $5 million. We wouldn't we wouldn't be invited to submit an application. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I think I, I, the HMGP is the post-disaster. Correct, yes. Okay, okay. So we don't really qualify for that one given the cost of the project. So we've got this, what would you call it, this, this bucket that we may apply, that we may qualify for, or what would the funding stream be called where we could, where we need some flood insurance, national flood oh, insurance yes. policy? Oh, yes, FMA, flood FMA. mitigation. Okay. And do we anticipate that we would be competitive for the FMA funding? Uh, potentially, yeah. I mean, it, we would, the largest proportion of um, points towards that comes from how many policyholders you have, so we need to find out how many we have first. And does the FMA program require that we have permanent easements along the length of the project? That's what, yes, that's what we have been advised. Um, and, and that's been evolving over time, but that is what FEMA's current interpretation of their policy is now, that we have to have all of the easements. All permanent Bef easements in order to apply for yes. that funding pot. before applying. And have we applied for FMA um, funding for this project in the past? Not for this project, no. Okay, switching to another topic. I'm not sure who this goes to, but when is our, when do we anticipate next going to the flood zone seven advisory board? We have a flood zone seven meeting that we're working on scheduling later this month. Later in March? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I would, would like to see is that we schedule quarterly flood zone meetings so that we can kind of keep up to date on things that are happening um, along the way on this project. And then my final question for now is, so we're extending the time for the contract with Robert and then looking to extend, or looking to go out for this CEQA, additional CEQA addendum analysis in order to complete that. What is, what's, what will be the next step? The next step is to complete that last task in the planning phase, and that is the CEQA review. So once we have that completed, we plan on coming to your board for um, actions and next steps and approval. So when that, when we get to that, when that CEQA analysis is done, is the project design deemed complete? Are we at a complete design? Or what else has to be done to get to a complete design? I thought I said it was 90% design. Yes, yeah, so the we would have better data to bring the plans and specs to 100% design, yes. And is, does that happen as part of the CEQA step or it would be subsequent? Well, some of the answers that we're seeking uh, are some of the questions that we don't have answers for will come out of the CEQA process and therefore Robert would be able to fine tune the design and access uh, points and all that. But Robert, are we at 90% design at this point? Or did I read that somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we're at 90% design. What, what Bernice is mentioning is there's a lot of really important studies that are gonna come out of the CEQA process that we will need to embed into the final documents uh, that will help inform contractors about protection of environmental resources and other conditions that are really essential. I will pass it to my colleagues. Thank you. If I may? Thanks. Sure, looking at your projected project costs, 
there's like three, three variables that we don't know yet or we haven't determined yet. How do you see those being determined? Because I think they do affect, um, one, the overall cost, but also while the composite sheet, sheet pile wall may seem the most appropriate now, um, we don't know the easement costs of that project, the width of those easements, temporary, permanent, those questions haven't been answered. And then the restoration costs, whether you're referring to anything that needs to be restored on private property that needs to be replaced. And, and so we don't know a lot of those elements. And my understanding, the TRB wall wouldn't have a lot of that extended scope. Is that correct? So I'm just trying to compare the two, but I'm not seeing it as an accurate comparison, not knowing this other data is what I'm suggesting. And will this happen during the CEQA process? Some of this stuff get determined. I'll answer part of it and then I'll pause. And ask me a question if I'm not clear. I, I'm trying to, you know, we're being asked to compare the two. Yes, it exactly. seems one is preferred, but there's a lot of variables we don't have, so. Yes, Rosemary Gaglioni, Public Works Director. What were the difference in, um, so the permanent easement is about the same. Because that standard, a standard, there's a standard width that would allow you to get in and, and bring a piece of equipment in. Um, there is what may be different are the temporary construction easements, what width is necessary. Uh, and so it, regardless, you have to have an easement that the, that the structure sits on. And so that would be the same for, for either project. And then would the restoration compensation be adjusted for easement payments, in the easement payments? The fact that you're reconstructing private property? That will, we'll, we'll cross that when we get into okay. the right-of-way okay. negotiation. So right now we have to get through CEQA before anything else. And as, as Robert said, there are some things that will come out, how we access some of our restrictions on, on construction and everything else. All of those will come out of CEQA. That will also inform us as to what's gonna happen next. Okay, thank you. Uh, just one question. Um, curious if we've been able to determine w when or if this project, when it's complete, uh, would it have any impact on the community rating system with FEMA and thereby uh, potentially reduce flood insurance for residents? I do not know the answer to that question. Uh, let me look at Hannah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I, I talked to our CRS coordinator about this and um, the current CRS manual has a clause in it, and normally you would be able to get a reduction based on uh, a project like this in, in a special flood hazard area. However, there's a clause in there that says, unless it's funded by FEMA. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so it, 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 at this point, I don't think that there would be any direct points that would come from the project if it was funded by FEMA. That's an interesting clause. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. thank you. I'm going to open to public comment now. If there's people here in the audience that'd like to comment on this project, and then we'll go online to comment. Yeah, if you'll just line up, please, and give your name, and you've got two minutes. Hi, my name is Jamie Ellerman, and lots of things to talk about, but I think I'm just gonna stick to the, the access issues if you saw the size of the equipment that needs to come in, because what they used for the temporary, you know, we went and took a look at it because it was over at the end of Vendola, and it's really tremendous. And so the, the width of that temporary construction easement to get those machines in, and it's gonna need to be able to, I think, have like swing. I think it said, I'm sorry, I think it also said something like it needs like, you know, room in there for the swing of the construction. So that all needs to be clear. And the way that these things have worked in the past is they've been able to work around things a little bit better. Where this is gonna be more of a, you know, you've got a clear cut, you've gotta get rid of all the big trees, which, you know, we talk climate change, we're cutting down trees. So you've gotta cut down all your trees. You know, there's a lot of things that people have in the way. It's gonna be a lot more money for those easements that you're asking about. You know, because this equipment is much bigger than the equipment you would have needed to put in the other kind of a wall.
at all? Okay, uh, we'll go online. Is there anyone online? Yes, the first speaker is J.R. Carter. Please unmute. Okay, um, uh, well, the comment that refers to the last commenter, it just seems to me that access is far more than 10% of the issue. It seems like it's almost the whole issue. Um, but I have another question. How or will settlement and subsidence affect sheep farming? Okay. So that's my question. It's a, you said that it would only affect it if it was the other original type of construction. But wouldn't it also have an effect on sheep piling, subsidence? Yeah. That's my question. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, the next, next speaker question. is Bill okay. Addison. Please unmute. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Hi there. Uh, thanks for letting me talk for a second. Uh, I live on the seawall. As a matter of fact, you use my uh, my section of the seawall in two of your slides. One for before for the current timber wall and one for what it might look like later. Thank you very much for doing that. Now I can show everybody, or at least show my uh, uh, people concerned. Um, but for one thing, I wanted to mention about the low participation in FEMA insurance. Uh, I was, last check I made the, to FEMA was like over $5,000 for a year. And, um, and finally got to the point where all of a sudden I didn't need a mortgage, I paid it off and I stopped getting insurance because I trust the, the flood control system, the pumps that you guys have in this neighborhood, and hopefully uh, I'll die before the sea rises too far. But anyway, there are alternatives against FEMA flood insurance that are like 20% the price, at least as of 11 years ago. So that's probably why uh, there's such a low participation rate. So just thought you might want to know. Other than that, thank you. Um, uh, new flood wall looks good. Um, I'd actually uh, signed off on, a, on an easement for last uh, last year, a year ago. Uh, hopefully I'll get to do it again <laughs> when you guys are ready. Anyway, uh, thank you very much. Hey, Dennis, good to see you again. I'll talk to you all later. Bye. The next speaker is Al Scotch. Please unmute. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Well, I mean, I have a general comment to make. I mean, there's so much information that came out of this meeting that should have been in the staff report. I mean, so many things have been brought up at this meeting right now that, that we should have been able to consider. One of them, for, for starters, why first are we having this meeting when we don't know the answer to how many people have FEMA insurance? Uh, we should know the policyholder number right now. Decisions apparently can be made based on how many, up to $125, can be available. And we should know that right now at this meeting. We're making decisions that, that could be answered by, to some extent by knowing this information. And all this uh, information about CEQA uh, being what's left and studies that are going to come out from that that will make that will that have to be acted on that should be detailed in this staff report there's so much information I, i'm really upset because i submitted a comment that's kind of like in made in the dark that, that is, is beginning to look stupid because of the information that's been revealed at this meeting i'm really disappointed and uh, and I, I might have comments if we can digest this information and be able to talk to others about it. Um, I mean, the, the fact that it, it appeared, and my comment was that it looks like it's dead in the water, because <coughs> FEMA is not on board. Is that the case? This is my question for you. Is FEMA on board here at all? How do we get FEMA on board? Because what I read in the staff report is we're not getting anything from FEMA. And, then, and there's, a, there's a lie there as well. It says there's no people in, the, in Santa Anisha insured by FEMA. It says it's zero, and clearly that's not true. So, I mean, all of this 
it's very disappointing, and I, I want action to be done on that, please. That's my comment. The next speaker is Gina Solomon. Please unmute. Uh, yes, hi, thank you uh, for taking my comments. I'm uh, at 623 Vendola um, on, the, on the creek, and I'm very grateful for all the work that's going into this, for everything that the staff's been doing, um, and that this body has been doing to really try to um, protect this community. Um, and I just want to um, add that uh, we're insured through a surplus line provider uh, because it's a lot more affordable than uh, through FEMA. But if it would make a difference and help uh, position our community for a FEMA grant, I would be willing to pay the difference and, and uh, switch my flood insurance. Um, this is really um, an, an important opportunity to move forward. Um, I can see that it's probably difficult to get a, a tally, any kind of an accurate tally as to who is insured by what uh, company, if any. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to supporting the, the construction and um, the, the flood protection in our community in any way we can. Thank you. President Moulton-Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay. Um, I'm going to bring it back to Bernice to see. Oh, I'm sorry. Of course, you're right. You're out there. Please, sir, come on up. Maybe I missed something, but it seems like such a, a simple, simple idea, which is if the community needs a certain percentage of homeowners to pay for the the, the national flood, which is insurance, which is quite a bit more expensive as I understand it. I don't know whether I have it or not. I doubt it. But it seems like a small, a small contribution from the county might encourage all 120 people to get that insurance and it would, and then we would qualify for the maximum points. Uh, and it's just an idea. It's probably hard to do, but it might make a difference to all the people who are going to have to pay a lot more and would be resistant to the national insurance. Thank you. One more? Sorry. I'm Monty Smith. Uh, I'm at 107 Vendola. Um, as far as the funding, could you just give us the very broad strokes so that, you know, this thing's going to cost 13 million or 15 million or something like that? And if you can get money from FEMA, how much would they be in for? Then how much is left in the lap of the county? And then is there anything going to be left in our lap as residents? Certainly take that question. Yeah. So if you'll, if you'll allow me now to close public comment, then we can pull it oh, back. Oh, I have a couple. Group. I have a couple more. Great. So why don't you give us all your questions and then we'll. Um, and then if, if this thing is, the, the first question leads into the second one, if this thing is just beyond our ability to pay for it one way or another, um, would it be wise to consider just trying to keep going with what we've got going uh, to protect us? And then the third comment is at, at 107 Vendola, where we were, the at the latest <clears throat> the latest big rainstorm we experienced a, a not a king tide but a six and a half foot tide and with all the rainwater coming down the valley and all the water coming down the Sacramento we saw uh, the water get up to within 14 inches of the top of the levee and so one it's a you know it's kind of Frightening because if it had been a king tide, when all that was, when all the water was coming down the valley and coming down the Sacramento, we would have we would have been at a breach at at our property or very close to it. So, um, the if there's anything you guys can do, trying to tone down the environmental thinking of when to do this project, because as I understand it, it's during winter that they want to do it for 
reasons of the clapper whales that live on the other side of the channel. It seems like madness to try to do it under those king tide storm conditions. Re really a, a frightening thing. And then one more point that ties into that is that if, if, the, if, the, if the dredging could be done, we'd get, get the water sluicing out of there when it's raining, and I think that would make a huge difference for, for how high the water gets from rainwater. So those are my comments. Great. Thank you very much. So, Bernice, I'm going to bring it back to you and your team for some responses, and then we'll have comments on the board. Yes, I'd like to address a couple of those points, and I'll let Robert address the settlement and subsidence comment. I, I do want to emphasize that this is very new information that we received about the existence of national flood insurance policies in the community. This is not information that we have access to. Uh, we have to ask the questions of FEMA. This is very um, personal information and very, very protected by FEMA. We are aware of these issues, and I'm hearing what one of the speakers is saying, and he goes um, in parallel with our director's uh, direction to us of figuring out a workshop or something we can work with the community and educating them and maybe bringing their own policies because Quite honestly, I don't have access to any of that. It's, it's only, uh, only a couple of people that have shared with me their, their policies that I'm able to see them, but we don't have any of that information. We are going to work on that, and we are going to work with the community on, on all the flood insurance issues, and we'll definitely be after FEMA to update their databases because that's what everybody goes with. Um, as far as... Um, access and uh, construction windows, that is something that is going to come out of the CEQA process. We have to have these conversations with the, the agencies about water access and construction windows because we are, we are constrained due to a lot of the environmental uh, windows. So that's something that we'll have conversations with during the CEQA process. And as far as the last speaker, keep going with what we're doing. I think you heard earlier that the Corps has already concluded in their studies that this is in imminent danger of failing if the water levels get to a certain height with the existing deterioration of the existing structure that's out there. And um, I'll turn it over to you, Robert, to address the settlement issue. So thank you, Berenice. Uh, so the existing timber reinforced berm actually has soil, which creates more load on the underlying soil conditions, which actually helps to induce settlement. So the sheep pile wall actually removes that soil. So in theory, um, settlement will still occur, but it will occur at a slower rate. And the sheet piles tend to lock in together better, so they settle more uniformly. So we do not anticipate uh, distress of the sheet pile wall due to settlement. Uh, they're designed specifically for uh, waterfront communities, and they're designed specifically to perform in this condition. Um, I'm going to bring it back for some comments. And Mary, if you'd allow me, I I'd love to say something. I so I haven't been following this project as closely as all of you who live in the neighborhood. but. I, I do feel personally that we're talking about everything all at once. And that to me is confusing. I'm used to construction projects that are managed in a planning phase and they go to a sequel phase and they go to a financing and then you construct. And I, I realize you've been down this road because you, you did the work before and then you pulled it back because the, the strategy and the financing wasn't right. But I, I think part of, for me, what's confusing this is that we still have more information to get before we can answer some of the questions, the valid ones that have come up today. And trying to figure out the FEMA funding is, seems like a, that's a side discussion that can go on while you're doing your planning and your sequel work, which has to happen. We, just, we have to go through the sequel steps, and that's where a lot of additional information is revealed. And then we come back. And then we look at the three alternatives, or however many are going to be proposed, including the do-nothing option, which is just leave it the way it is. And, and you look at what that gets you in the different options, and then you go through this sorting process. So I, 
I, I can sense the community's working really hard to get, you know, your arms around all this, but I, I, I feel like we should just go through the plan, the regular planning and CEQA process, get out the other end, see where we are. So I just wanted to say that. I think it would make things simpler. I appreciate that. I think there were a couple of public comments that weren't addressed. If I could just Absolutely. flag those and see if we could get responses. So one of them was just talking about the concern around, I think, the first speaker about the width of the temporary easement. So if you could speak to that, Robert. And then just the question from Al Scotchton, just is FEMA on board? And what, I, I know we don't have a yes or no on that, but what our sense is. Um, and then the other question about sort of broad brush dollars and where we anticipate funding to come from. We go back to the time. So if, if the, the first question was really about the construction access. So the equipment that's been proposed to you, be used here, which is what we demonstrated in November, is all less than 10 feet wide. Um, whether you build a timber reinforced berm or a, a sheet pile wall, the equipment in terms of size is, is very similar. Uh, it is a challenge to with height and trees and, and other items to, to build this, but we spent a lot of time thinking about the logistics of this, um, and we feel like we have a pretty good plan proposed to be able to build this and construct the sheet pile wall um, with minimizing disruption within the, the neighborhood. And in addition to that, uh, again, I, I keep repeating it, but if we have water access, um, it's going to di dictate how this project is going to be constructed. So those are answers that will come out of the CEQA phase. And um, in your board letter, I included, we included project expenditures and funding sources as a really big picture, a snapshot of today. Uh, we have budgeted about $4 million for real estate. However, we are in the process of looking parcel by parcel. We don't know, we're not aware of all of the improvements that are within in the proximity of the existing TRB. So we have that number as an estimate for right-of-way acquisition. Um, Robert's work has determined that the cost of the new sheet pile wall, it's around 13.7. And you can see that we projected the cost to 2025 because we don't qualify to apply for any construction funding right now and we're not ready to apply for construction funding because we're not done with the planning phase. I hear what you're saying, Stephanie, about the confusion of what phase we're in because we did go through the, the whole planning phase and construction, right-of-way acquisition and almost construction, but then we had that, that shortage in funding and we, we had to go back to the planning phase. So that's, that's the confusion. We do have funding sources on that table. Um, as you can see, it estimates, uh, or it has the annual funding sources that come from the flood zone. And I do have a projected um, loan amount that we can potentially obtain if we do get to the construction phase and we have some money that has been allocated to towards this effort that is in the coffers so we're still assured by 16.8 million and that is why we have to go after grants otherwise to answer one of the speakers question is it, is it possible that the residents can afford this project the answer is no without obtaining that substantial amount of grant funding well, but don't all, a lot of our flood projects go from grants? I, Supervisor Rice. Yeah. This um, is what we no, do. I mean, I'm, I, what I'm, I'm trying to just clarify actually what we're doing with this action, and I think it, it has been a two-part item because there was an update on the overall project, and then there's this request to extend the time period for the Stupor Stroke contract. So, um, I, in in my understanding of what's before us. Um, we, we've we've got to we've got to finish the design work and then take up the next item, the CEQA item, in order to really understand what this project's going to look like and finalize the design. And then we'll know what we have a project and we have to go after funding. And so most projects require getting to shovel ready. They're not usually fully funded. 
Um, but I, I just want to make sure that the action with regard to Stuber-Stroh is the same scope of work that we'd already uh, contracted with them for, just extending the time period. That seems like a no-brainer to me, assuming that we want to uh, fully understand what it's going to take to get this project done and understand that we have the, uh, the right project, both for the problem and for the community. So um, we're, we're, we've got multiple steps ahead of us. Yeah, so this, this action is to receive the update, uh, accept the update, and to extend the contract with CSW with no additional funding, just a time extension. I'm, and I'm happy to make the motion to extend that contract or make the second as long as my, did the District 1 supervisor is okay with that. Yeah. I could just make a few comments um, first. I, I agree with that path. Um, I think what we have in front of us is an unfunded project, and but I see this as one step towards getting closer to be able to have a project. Um, and while sometimes that those steps are frustrating, um, it, this is one that has to happen one way or another. So I see it as as an important step um, with the goal of ultimately having a funded project. Um, I do want us to, you know, spend this time digging into trying to understand how we can best be poised to take advantage of any grant opportunities because we know they do spring up at different times. And so I want to make sure we have all of our ducks in a row. And one of those things I think is important is to have quarterly advisory board meetings so that we can sort of take out these chunks and discuss them with the community and get community input. And I'll say that I feel like if this had been discussed with the advisory board that there wasn't anybody with flood insurance, we would have heard from the community, hey, I've got flood insurance, and we could have sort of uh, eliminated that if we took adva advantage of that advisory board step. So I will move to proceed with the time extension um, with, with C.W. Stroh and um, what's the other item? <laughs> with the, um, and to accept the plan update. Um, and I just look forward to trying to find solutions, listening to what Monty said about, you know, during these past storms that it definitely raises concern. And so I'd like to just keep moving forward with the and hopefully dual tracking a couple of the steps at the same time. So I will make that motion if you want to second it. Super, thank you, Supervisors. <laughs> motion uh, by Director Sackett, a second by Director Rice. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Okay, we're going to move on now to 12E, a related item, and this is a request to authorize a professional services contract with Daniel Sicular in uh, the amount of 62975 for preparation of a supplemental environmental review report. Thank you, and this is the actual contract with an environmental firm to help us finish the last planning phase of the Santa Venetia flood wall. Uh, so we are asking your board to approve this contract with um, Dan Sikiller to help us do the CEQA addendum for this project. I think we've answered the yeah, I, I do have one question. Um, so the CEQA analysis, is it going to limit it to the one project, which is the sheet wall, sheet pile wall? It is, yes. We have the project description. This is the recommended design, the sheet pile wall, and we are investigating the water access versus. Okay. I thank you. I just wanted to be clear. And to be clear, this is a supplemental environmental review document, so a su right. supplement to prior CEQA analysis. That's correct. We did the CEQA analysis for reinforcing the existing DRB. We are no longer uh, recommending that. We're recommending the sheet fire wall, and this is why we're doing a CEQA addendum. I will move adoption of this item. Questions I'll ask for public comment on approving this contract. I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone online? Yes, we have Bill Addickson. Please unmute. 
Hello there. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah. My gosh, what was I going to say? Well, yeah, first off, someone made a comment that dredging would somehow fix the flooding issue. Um, from what I've learned from my brother, who's a civil engineer from Anchorage, Alaska, that will never happen. <laughs> dredging is dredging. Uh, flood control is flood control. There are two different beasts. So uh, I, I would not worry about that. And yeah, uh, I think I already mentioned about the the cost of FEMA flood, con flood insurance versus private insurers like Lloyd's of London, which will do it for 20%. But there is an issue there. And uh, anyway, that's about all I have to say. Other than that, I hope you do it. Uh, it, it looks like a good, des you know, <laughs> good design for what I've seen so far. Okay, thank you. Bye. President Moulton Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you, Director Rice. Yeah, just um, uh, Bernice, um, so this is just to put a point on the timeline here. So the time period for this uh, contract takes us to the end of December 2025, but what's the anticipated timeline for? Uh, um, I'm assuming that's conservative and giving uh, secular uh, time to get it done. Um, but when are you expecting or hoping to have that complete? I'm just, just, just towards setting expectations. Once the EIR, the supplemental work is completed, assuming it doesn't require subsequent um, uh, environmental analysis or new contract, um, it'll be circulated with the community. But is this, gonna, is this a year out? What's sort of the time frame in just terms of managing expectations? I had the conversation with Dan, and he told me six to nine months. Okay. So between, between now and then, at least one advisory board meeting, if not two, to, to get everybody sort right. of in the loop. And this work will reveal if there are significant impacts uh, more than <coughs> were identified in the 2019 original document. Okay. Thank okay, you. so we had a motion by second. Is it second? Second. Thank you. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. That passes unanimously. And that uh, concludes our meeting for this afternoon. Thank you very much, everyone.